Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Hi guys, Anna Victoria here. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life. I have my husband, Luca, here. Hi guys. <laughs> Today, my guest is Ethan Supley, and I'm so excited to talk to him about his fitness journey. I want you to Google him right now because you know him. <laughs> he has been in so many movies, American History X, Remember the Titans, Blow, Wolf of Wall Street, and all four seasons of the NBC sitcom, My Name is Earl just to name a few. And he recently, I actually, it's so funny because a few weeks ago I saw, um, you know, an article and just on, you know, online about his weight loss journey. And I literally had to do a double take. Like I didn't believe that it was the same person. It was incredible. Yeah. His weight loss, uh, absolutely incredible. Yeah. And, and, you know, apparently he kind of has gone through a lot of ups and downs. I mean, as anyone does in their fitness journey, but I think especially going from 530 to, you know, two or 300 something pounds, like there's going to be, you know, a lot of trial and error and, you know, figuring it out, especially to keep it off. Yeah, I probably watch one specific movie where he's on probably 200 (laughs) times, you know, which movie I'm talking about. Oh, remember the Titans, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I watched that with my cousins growing up. I seriously probably 200 times. Well, which is so funny because Italians normally don't watch American football, usually soccer. But for some reason, your family watches... It's because of my oldest cousin. Uh, he grew up playing football and he kind of, you know, he, he would show us all the movies about American football. And, you know, he taught us, you know, the game. So we watch games together. Well, and he's also, he's a big guy. How, how big is Stefano? Stefano like six, is five? six, uh, no, it's, he's six, four, uh, 300 pounds. Yeah. He was, yeah, a defense, so he's, he played, it was a defensive end. And, yeah. uh, yeah, that was one of the movies we watched so many times. Obviously it was in Italian. Uh, and <laughs> right. the title is different, right? We have different titles. Oh. Yeah. So oh actually the title in Italian is uh, Il Sapore della Vittoria, which is, uh, the, the, taste the taste of victory. Of victory? Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So we're going to really dive into his fitness journey, uh, all the ups and downs, you know, how he's gotten to where he's at today and maintaining and a lot more. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Can't wait to hear what you think. And here is my talk with Ethan Supley. Hi, Ethan. How are you? Hi Anna, I'm good. This is uh this is the Apocalypse podcast. It, it it is. Yes, this is our first podcast trying to do this remote in with everything coronavirus going on. So thank you for working with us on uh letting this happen. I'm really excited to chat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um we have lots of free time now to do these things. <laughs> right, right. Um do you want to start by sharing with my audience a bit about yourself? Sure. I'm an actor. I'm a father, I'm a husband, and uh, I guess we probably will talk most about weight loss and stuff like that. I I was uh, a heavy kid. Um, I think my first diet was around five years old, and 
Um, I struggled with my weight for, you know, until my mid twenties and then got, I started dieting and, and I, I never really talked about it. I've been dieting for 18 years, but never really discussed that at all. Uh, I, I wasn't ever really happy with my body and I wouldn't say I'm necessarily happy with my body today, but it's as close to proud of my accomplishments as I've gotten. So I've been talking about that a lot lately. Yeah. I mean, I can just say like when we, you know, we first discussed you coming on the podcast and, you know, I looked you up, like, first of all, I recognized you immediately. Like anyone listening, like that doesn't immediately recognize Ethan Supley, um, Google you and like, they'll know exactly who you are. You've had an amazing career in the film industry. And I feel like a lot of that, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but your roles were largely based on being a bigger guy. Would you say that's correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it is. I, I did, I did try to um, move away from roles that would have uh, that aspect of me as like the, the brunt of a joke. I wasn't interested in in playing. I mean, it, I the roles I were all about me being a bigger guy, but I I didn't want to do a bunch of like fat guy jokes. Right, right, yeah. Because you know, when I first saw your transformation, first of all, my jaw like completely dropped, and I just want to say like a huge congratulations to you because I I mean, there's no way to say in words how difficult that journey is. But um, before we dive into the weight loss, I'm really curious about how you felt about like, was that intentional that you did want to get with, get away with from those types of roles? Like, because, and also how scary was that? Because if that's what you were known for, you know, like how easy or difficult was that for you to pivot your career? Yeah. Um, well, I, st- I, st- I, the first like diet as an adult that I ever went on where I wasn't like being enforced by my parents or my grandparents or like sneakily, you know, suddenly I'm only being fed macrobiotic foods by my mom. And I'm like, what is this? And (laughs) she's like, this is just how we eat now. You know, we're all going to eat this way. Um, and it wouldn't last very long, but, but (laughs) so the first time I said, I'm going to do a diet was like 2002. And, you know, I was just so big at the time that, um, it there wasn't you know i wasn't even thinking about um becoming the size i am now or even being smaller than i am now i was just thinking like i'm just it just like life is life had become a real burden getting on airplanes was a burden and tying my shoes was a burden and i just didn't want to be so burdened by life so the idea was more just get healthier and have a better life. I wasn't even really thinking about work at that point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what, how, how much did you weigh at your heaviest? The heaviest I ever like objectively recorded on a scale. And I believe I was heavier than this was five thirty six. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I, and I then that was not that, that, that wasn't, I don't believe that was my heaviest, but that's the heaviest, like definitive number I have. Right. Okay. So, so to dive into your weight loss journey. So you said that for the, in the beginning, it was just about kind of living an easier life because life had been so burdensome, burdensome. So how, how did you start out uh, making those changes? Uh, you know, I came, 
here's another thing. I, I'm a sober person and uh, I was I was definitely not always a sober person. Yeah. And and I have uh, just some feelings about it that are like if somebody comes to me and says they have a friend or a kid or somebody who is struggling with drugs and alcohol, will you please talk to them? I'm totally willing to do that. However, I, I, I preface anything like that by saying, I don't believe people generally make big sweeping changes to their lives unless it's on their own determinism, unless the, the, Ideas born from within them. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be inspired by outside things. Yeah. I kind of came to this moment. I was in Romania doing a movie called Cold Mountain, and I'd had a weird experience flying over there. And, Mm. you know, it's like 30 hours of travel. You go to Frankfurt and then take multiple planes to get to the sticks of Romania. (laughs) And I was miserable. And I kind of just, and I had this girlfriend who never brought up weight to me. And, and it was, it's this really bizarre thing that I can remember thinking about thinking if I say something to her, if I say to her that I want to lose weight, that means she'll be aware that I'm as big as I am as though she couldn't have been, you know what I mean? Like if we talk about this thing, it makes it real. real. And somehow, yeah. And somehow we're living in this fantasy where it's not real, which clearly is not possible because I was gigantic. And so that was kind of my biggest struggle was just talking to her. But I I knew that if I wanted to have a relationship with her, I was going to have to change something. I, I, um, she, she was very active. She liked going on hikes and spending time in Europe. And that that's just a lot of walking. And like, there were all these things where I was like, so that was, there was a twofold thing, the idea of how do I talk to her about it? Because I, I like living in this fantasy where she's unaware of it, which is clearly delusional. And, um, also at the same time, I need to make a change and I have no idea what to do. Like I just, I'm at my rock bottom and I just need help. And I, and I felt like I just didn't know what to do. So I sucked it up and finally talked to her. And she just said like, yeah, you can lose weight. What do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea what to do. And she was like, okay, well, I'll figure out something. And when you get back to LA, we'll start. And I kind of said like, no, I need to start right now. And she said, okay, well, while you're while you're there in Romania, just don't eat bread. Like that's the first step. Just stop eating bread. Um, and I did that. And then I got back to LA and I went and she had found this crazy, wonderful liquid diet, which I wouldn't ever do today, but at 500 pounds, it's kind of like dropping the calories so severely was okay. Yeah. I've actually, you know, heard some like, uh, science researchers in the nutrition fitness field talk about liquid diets, um, kind of in extreme cases. And for me, my background in fitness, like a, I did not grow up in fitness. I actually kind of really disliked the fitness industry. I thought it was all about vanity and that's all that people cared about. I had health problems of my own that were mainly like GI and um, uh, digestive related. And because I ate, I grew up eating junk food my entire life. And so go figure, you know, you would think it was, it's still so crazy to me that I just never put two and two together until, you know, I started having those health problems. But, um, you know, so I've always 
really preach about balance. Like I didn't want to go from one extreme to the other to where I was like only eating healthy and clean and not ever allowing myself to indulge. Um, and so, and I also, I just, uh, I don't know if it's just my personality type, but I've always really like shirts, like, I don't want the fat, like any fad that comes up. I'm like, no, like literally all you need is to eat. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to say clean because I believe in 80, 20, like 80%, you know, whole natural foods and the other 20%, you can enjoy yourself. But anything that was like, oh, keto is the answer. Intermittent fasting right. is the answer or, or shakes. I was always just like, that. that's all just like, you know, it's just keeping your attention for now and not for like the long term. It's like that whole cyclical, you know, system of the, why the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry when it's just groceries and moving your body, you know? Right. No, um, I, to I totally yeah. agree with you. So, so it was so interesting for me to hear these, these, you know, doctors or just, you know, nutritionists or, you know, researchers say like, oh, actually we do recommend shakes or a liquid diet for some, for some clients. And it really blew my mind. So I was like, normally I was always like any girls that would come to me would be like, oh, I'm going to go on a liquid diet. And I'd be like, that's not what you need, you know, blah, 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 which I do think that it, it depends on the person, you know, so, so in extreme, you know, situations for anyone listening. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, do you, can you expand a bit more on what that protocol was like? Yeah. And, and I want to say something to your point. I completely agree with what you're saying. And like, if I, if I wanted to lose 10 pounds now, I could do that in a week on liquid yeah. diets, no problem, but it would be mostly water and it, and, right. and it wouldn't be the kind of weight loss that I want to lose. I, I also think you're really smart in saying that because anytime that we take, and look, there's a lot of factors that go into making, to, to, to growing a body to be 500 pounds. And, and I'm not going to pretend that it's just willpower. It's not, there's many factors involved, but if I, and I did this for years and years and years, I would, at first it was just food is the problem. I cannot control food. I, it, you know, and being a sober person, I understood the, the principles of like, if you have an addictive relationship with something, you just stop dealing with that thing. However, food is tricky. You always have to eat. Mm -hmm. But it was somehow wonderful at first to just take a moment and go like, let's stop eating. We're going to take these protein shakes mm -hmm. and some fiber pills. I think it was like mm -hmm. psyllium husks or something like that and protein shakes and, and, and like really spend for me, it was two months like dealing with that. What is that like not eating, not having, cause you, I was never going to have addictive behaviors with the protein shakes and fiber pills. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. But then I did spend the next 15 or so years trying to put the onus of responsibility on food going like carbohydrates are bad or, um, you know, I, I mean, I ran the gamut of things, but eventually we got down to like lectins are bad. And I, and I just at that point was like, okay, well, let me really figure out what lectins are in, then they're in everything, then yeah. everything is bad. And it's like, oh. it's not the food's fault at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Right. It's, right. It's, and so I don't even really do 80, 20 now. I kind of just use food as fuel 99% mm -hmm. of the time. Right. And that generally gives me stuff that I wasn't eating for 15 years, which is like, 
rice and some bread and potatoes. That's a part of my diet now where if I was doing 80, 20, you know, five years ago, 20% would have been rice. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? That I would have considered that the bad stuff, which I just Mm. don't do now. And I'm, and I'm now having, getting the physical results that I wanted for 15 years that I, and so it is really that kind of tricky thing to wrap your head around. Yeah. And I, there's two things that you touched on that are really great that I want to highlight first about how you said that it, it can so, at some point seem like everything is bad. And I think that that is, it is really important to highlight that because orthorexia is now a new thing where you are afraid to eat anything that's not quote unquote clean. Like I try not to use that word personally. It doesn't trigger me, but I know that for a lot of people, it can make them feel like they can't have anything that's not clean. And, and what is clean? Everything's a chemical, like, you know, everything has, you know, so we can just go down that rabbit hole. But, and so I think that, you know, as far as like 80, 20, that's another thing I want to highlight that it doesn't work for everyone, you know, like it's not, it's definitely not like a, a blanket, you know, suggestion. It's something that I would say does work for, I would say a majority, a lot of people, you know, but if there are people that, you know, kind of have trouble putting food into groups of like, well, what is 80? What is 20? You know, um, (laughs) I get, you know, I get asked a lot too, like, I, it's hard because I am such a, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I'm, I don't want to say I'm aloof about nutrition. It just like, it doesn't trigger me. I don't have issues with it. Um, other than I love Taco Bell and like cheese. It's like, I love the most processed foods in the world. That's what I grew up on. It's always going to be what I love eating. Um, and so I would say that for me, that's like what I consider that 20s. Like, I guess, I guess, and this is also very different for each person is what makes you feel physically, not mentally and emotionally. What makes you physically feel not great is right. what should be minimized, you know? Yes. Um, it's not about, you know, how much protein you eat or how many carbs or how many fats. It's your total end of day caloric intake at the end. And I feel right. like that has been very freeing for me to be able to share with my community and just for the p- general public to to receive this information, even though some people still don't want to (laughs) accept that, but that, you know, it's not about like protein doesn't make you fat, carbs don't make you fat, fats don't make you fat. You know, it's not food. It's literally a, a, in terms of fat loss anyways, and fat gain, you know, total caloric intake. So is that something that you came across in your journey of like having to like, or did you ever battle with that? I, Never for, for 15, 16 years, I never thought about calories. I like numbers too. And so I would occasionally go, how many calories am I getting with these protein shakes? And I would crunch the numbers and I would go like, oh my God, I'm only eating 600 calories a day. This is wild. And I feel okay, you know? Mm. Um, but for the most part, uh, I looked for, um, examples of where of how food was responsible for my condition of being over fat and like and for the vast majority of that time I believed it was carbohydrates that were doing it and so I just didn't eat carbohydrates for a long time and then there'd be like a random trip to Italy when and I would eat a bunch of pasta you know because I was in Italy and then I would get back on it when I came back um I would notice that spending time in Europe and eating carbs, 
I didn't tend to gain a lot of weight because I walked an average of 10 miles a day and I would always go, that's so weird. No, it must be that there's no GMOs in Europe, you know, and then it was the GMOs <laughs> fault. Yeah. And American wheat must be bad or something like that. I truly believed that. Uh, and what happened was I had lost a lot of weight and I was riding bicycles um, six days a week, eight hours a day. I went eight, to Europe and rode eight, eight hours. hours a day. Yeah. I, I, I went to Europe and rode every stage of the Tour de France twice. I was a, I was a maniac on a bike and I was 60 pounds lighter than I am now. And I felt, I felt like a, a slight breeze would knock me over. I felt like just like a, I was so uncomfortable. I loved riding my bike, but I never felt like I was in, I just couldn't recognize my body. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, I don't like this. I'm just gonna start lifting weights. And I started lifting weights. And then I spent like two years lifting weights and eating everything in sight and got mm -hmm. back up to almost 400 pounds. Okay. Yeah. But I had also gained a bunch of muscle because I was lifting weights and eating everything in sight. And then I thought, well, I could lose some fat and still be lifting weights and feel great. Let's see what this is like. And of course, I went back on to like keto and no carb. And I was losing weight, but I was kind of like just staying the same shape and getting smaller. And I wanted to have my muscle and just lose fat. And I could not figure out for like a year why that wasn't working. And I started doing DEXA scans repeatedly. Yes. And I, I was consistently losing 30 to 40% muscle. Wow. Which was really bumming me out. Wow. Yeah. And that's when I started doing a deep dive on like how, how all this stuff like works. Like what does a carbohydrate do? What does protein do? What does fat do? How much of it do you need? Why am I losing? And I just very quickly realized I can't do keto and have the result that I want. I can lose a ton of weight doing keto and I'm not knocking keto. Right, right. If, if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like I look at Mark Bell, that dude just eats only meat. He's still lifting a lot of weight. He looks great. So that works for him. I was losing too much muscle. And and so what did you end up doing? Because you were at, you were at keto before and, and during keto, were you tracking your protein and fats or no? Just you were just no carbs, pretty much. No carbs. I was okay. I mean, listen, and also I've done keto. I've done keto for so many years that I knew the difference between like keto where I'm eating hot dogs without buns yeah. and dipping them in nacho cheese sauce and not losing weight because my calories were probably astronomically high. And then when I get real serious and go like, I didn't lose weight this week. Okay. It's going to be chicken thighs and broccoli. And then I would think about it more, put a little bit more effort into it and lose weight. Um, but I wasn't tracking calories at all. It was just kind of like, listen, I know if I'm eating my lunch at 7-Eleven on keto, I'm not going to lose weight. Right, right. Okay. Um, so I want to pivot for a second and go back to what you mentioned earlier about being overweight or being obese is not a food issue. Or it's not, it's not just like a willpower issue. So 
I mean, listen, I, I say that it could be for somebody, mm-hmm. it could just be a willpower issue, but I think that there, I think that there's more to it than that. I don't yeah. think it's as simple as willpower. Like mm-hmm. for me today, it is just willpower for me and in, in, but I, I wasn't paying attention to the fact that every time I walked into a gas station, I was being marketed cheap calories. I wasn't paying attention to the fact that um, I could eat a steak, utterly fill my stomach, and that if I thought about dessert, it would make room for it. I didn't know that. I just knew, like, I want to eat this. I, you know what I mean? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. I mean, I, but I, I completely agree. I think that people oversimplify like the issues that go into or what leads someone to becoming obese. And I always, I've never like there. Okay. So growing up in the United States, um, like I said, I was never into fitness, kind of really disliked the industry. Um, I've never watched Biggest Loser in my life, but I, I had heard about it. My fitness journey started when I moved abroad And, um, so I just, I just knew in my mind that like, personally, when I started getting into fitness, I did not subscribe to the idea of like the biggest loser mentality of like yelling at people in their face to lose weight. Because like, I, I just feel like that, that, like that's, it's, it can't, it's not that easy. You know, you can't just yell, yell someone into losing weight, you know? And I, I, I've, I always felt like, and also kind of how I mentioned of like, I think it's just BS that someone can look at someone who's, you know, looks, you know, acceptable by society standards from their body and look at someone who's obese and treat them differently, even if they have the same health problems, you know? And so I just always thought like, you know, it's not, the answer is not to yell, to, to, to shame someone who's being obese. There's so much more that goes into it. What I've always thought, and I would love to hear from you is I feel like that there's a lot of underlying I don't want to say trauma because not everyone goes through trauma, but there's something, it could even be as simple as someone's uncle telling them when they're seven years old, oh, pinching their belly fat, you know, something that triggers them to, to associate, you know, that as a negative thing and turning into a cycle or so, so yeah, do you have any thoughts on, or or do you agree on that? I do. I, I do. I, I mean, I, I get to a point where I, I am morally a bit of an anarchist. And so I, I look around at the, at society and I just go like, it is not my responsibility to determine what is correct for anyone else. And so we, you know, listen, if I had, if I lived within a tribe of 30 people and we, our survival depended on everybody producing something. And that means like hunting and foraging and somebody within that group of that very small group couldn't do their job because they were sitting around and getting over fat. Maybe in that extreme example, I would feel somehow justified in saying, get off your ass and work. Mm -hmm. And, but even still, if they're doing what they need to be doing, I don't give a crap <laughs> what their appearance is. Like that, I think, is completely uh, subjective. And so when we have this day and age where you can make millions of dollars a year playing video games, <laughs> what does that person have to be thin for? What, or, right. or whatever the term thin means. Like, I think it's utterly irrelevant. 
That said, when I was five, I went to visit my grandparents in um, Vermont and uh, and my grand and my grandfather, uh, my favorite food was lasagna and he would bake this lasagna and I showed up and they were like shocked and, and they looked at me and they were like, oh my God, he's so fat. We're going to restrict food from him. And honestly, if you looked at pictures of me at five, you would just see like a, a normal looking five-year-old kid who maybe had a couple pounds of excess weight on his cheeks, but like I was not obese at five. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't like pre-diabetic or any of these types of things. And so they restricted my food and it definitely um, was part of creating a habit of sneaking food for me. So I would, I would then, I then felt guilty for eating in front of people and would do most of my eating secretively. And that, I think that habit um, that I don't think they were even aware of, uh, stoking in me. I, I then took all the way into alcohol and drugs and like, it was a big part of my life, this secretiveness with things that I felt were maybe morally unacceptable, like overeating, quote unquote, overeating, which I think honestly at five, I wasn't really overeating. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's, that's a huge part of it. I think like, I don't give a, sh a crap. Sorry, I don't know if you're a super G-rated thing. I almost said the bad word. <laughs> I don't really care how anybody looks, yeah. how thin anybody is. I don't think it's my job to to um, to uh, indicate that. I don't mm -hmm. think that I should be an example of the way anybody should look. That's not my intention. But I do know that for years and years and years, I struggled with how I wanted to look. Yeah. And, and that might have been compounded by society, but I don't really care about that because I can't really do anything about them. I just know I had an urge to have a body that was different than the body I had. And it was very hard for me to get it to, to achieve that goal. And well, I'm not saying today I've achieved it. I've, you know, but now we're talking about five pounds of fat that I'm, right. you know what I mean? Like, it's right. very like a scientific thing of getting there. And, and yeah. like, I'm giving myself months to do this and I'm on a maintenance period right now just to chill my hormones out and like s no stress. And then I'll take six or seven weeks to get those five pounds. And, you know, um, which is completely fine. I know exactly how to do it. I've been working towards that goal, but it's my goal. It's not society's goal. I don't give, I don't right. care what society says. And, and like the idea of health is also completely subjective. Yeah. This is actually, it was going to be my next question for you because there's a, you, I feel like a, a new campaign of like health at every size, you know, and some people take that to one extreme where they say like someone who's 500 pounds can be healthy. And then there's those that are like, wait a minute, no, scientifically, you know, so what, what's your thoughts on that? I, I, I look, I mean, I think <laughs> this that is a touchy the, subject. <laughs> yeah. I think that they're trying to make an argument that, somebody at 500 pounds is urging towards health 
I don't think that's being totally honest. Mm -hmm. However, I don't think it's any of my business how healthy that person is. I think people should be allowed to smoke cigarettes if they want to smoke cigarettes. I don't want to smoke cigarettes. I have children. I want to I want to err on personally on the side of being as healthy as I possibly can and and being that size is not doing that. But I would never say that anybody else should do that. So right. I think it's a little bit disingenuous for somebody to say you can be at the utmost of health at 500 pounds. But I also just don't care if somebody's 500 mm -hmm. pounds. That's up to them. Sounds like just a very sense? live and let live kind of mentality. Yeah. Would you say? I, yeah, totally. I love Lizzo. I think yeah. little girls who, who oh. you know, there's, there's a whole new thing happening where you have these little girls in like halter tops and their tummies are hanging out and they're utterly proud. Yeah. And I want to just high five those girls, but I don't oh. want to draw attention to it. So I'm not doing that. Right. But I like totally want to say like, good for you, because mm -hmm. I still at at a, at a weight that at or a body fat percentage that is way less than the average um don't want to take my shirt off so that has nothing to do with society that's all within me uh and that's just like 40 plus years of living in my head right yeah. and so i see these these people who are proud of themselves and not feeling shame. And I just want to give them all high fives. Yeah, that doesn't mean that I think that you can be super healthy at 500 pounds. I just don't know that that's true. Right. I, I, I completely agree. And for me, you know, like you said, it's not our place to say like what someone needs is if, if they're healthy, if that's any of our business, um, you know, and what I, what I, how I look at it is like, I don't want to be saying like, oh yeah, go ahead, be, you know, 500 pounds. That's the best thing ever for you. But I think that there is a, an amount of uh, shame that like society puts on men and women that triggers them to continue on that cycle where what, what I love seeing like in the Lizzo case is like removing that shame allow people to accept themselves for who they are and where they're at. And I think that's the first step to if they want to make changes, you know, because if someone's making changes, like kind of like you said in the very, very beginning, you have to do it for yourself. And if they're doing it because society is telling them because they're a horror that they're, they're, you know, um, morality is coming into the question of, of how you look or your weight. I think that's where that cycle needs to be stopped. It's not so much about saying like, Hey, yeah, go, go, you know, become obese and, you know, fight be 500 pounds. It's more about how I look at it, allowing people to accept themselves and then allowing them their own free will to, to decide where they want to go on that journey. So, yeah. And I think what you're talking about too is really important where it's like, if everybody had an, I mean, if there's just so much data and so much conflicting data. And it's like, if you, if you give somebody a diet and you say, this is the only diet, or this is the best diet and, and they mm -hmm. fail at that diet, why should they ever try another diet? Right. I, I would rather see, see somebody lay out 10 diets and say any of these work. The principle behind all of them is that you're going to be eating less calories than you're burning every day. 
right. all of the diets are going to adhere to that. But like, who knows? Maybe your your body responds better too, and you enjoy macrobiotic right. foods. Right. Fine. Maybe you work better eating high fat and no carbohydrate. Fine. That's fine. Um, but like it, once it becomes a moral issue, mm-hmm. I, I kind of go like, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with uh, dictating morals to people. I just don't right. think that that has anything to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about you and like your family now with like these changes that, you know, the, I'm sure, uh, how old are you, how old is your oldest daughter? You have four daughters, by the four, way, right? <laughs> four daughters. Yes. My oldest is 23. 23. I, by the way, we had a mass return because three of my kids go to school out of the state. One is in oh. New York. One was at college in Boston. And one was in Oregon, and we kind of went like, everybody come home right yeah. now a few weeks oh, ago, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea that you had a 23-year-old. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so she in particular has seen you go through such a huge journey. Yeah. Um, it ha- how has that impacted them, or how has that impacted how you parent and how you treat food around your family? Well, you know, I... I unfortunately have exhibited um, basically throughout their entire lives just like not necessarily a sane uh, relationship with food. You know, there would be a number of years where coming up to the holidays, my wife would go like, please just eat normal on Thanksgiving. Like, do we have to do this diet through Thanksgiving? And I would sometimes say yes and sometimes say no sometimes i would hold a hard line like no lectins are bad we will not be serving lectins for thanksgiving <laughs> you know yeah um so i do i certainly regret that um but i also i also am currently um feeling the best and they but they've also seen me at points where I was like I could ride every stage of the Tour de France in three weeks like I was an athlete truly an athlete um and a matter of fact the first time I did that my oldest daughter who was god I guess she was a young teenager at the time she came with me and a van would like she would like hang out in a little Swiss town and like go window shopping and then a van would drive her to the end of the stage and I would ride up and then we would cheer on and hang out. And, you know, that was fun. Um, I don't know. It's a, you know, having kids, it's definitely a work in progress. I can't say that I did everything perfectly. There's lots of stuff I wish I'd done differently. I don't know how I could have necessarily withheld my dieting from them. But I like, I started at a point where I, I really felt like I needed to change in order to be the, parent that I wanted to be to for them you know which happened very early on in their lives and and even prior to some of them like my youngest is 12 um she never knew me at at right such a an extreme weight yeah okay yeah I'm I'm actually pregnant with my first right now and it's a girl (laughs) and I feel like yeah there's a lot that comes with like oh gonna have a girl you know there's just so many different things I'm sure that you know way more than I do about but um so yeah it's it's an interesting topic to me just also because I've I always wonder like 
why don't I have any food issues? Like I, 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 I've never associated food with morality or guilt or anything, but it's very easy for me to just be like, Oh, had a huge, you know, cheat meal. Okay. I'm going to go right back to my normal eating. And that's, and I've always getting into like the fitness industry, seeing that that's not the case for a lot of people. I've always wondered like, but why is this so different for me? And I was raised by my dad, a single father, Um, My mom moved when I was 10 and just like literally no one ever, ever, ever said the slightest comment about my body ever, literally never. And I, and I, who knows if that's why, but I just, you know, in thinking about having a daughter, (laughs) you know, soon, like how, you know, to approach that. And uh, I think with the world of social media, this isn't a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down, but um, there is one more question I want to ask about, and then I want to get into your podcast. Okay. Um, so I hear researchers in the fitness industry say how food is not addictive or sugar is not addictive. You mentioned that you, you are sober, right? You're yeah. okay. So how do you feel about that statement? Do you feel like it, it was an addiction for you? Well, I would, I would say that, that when we use words like addiction, we can look at um, uh, the physical properties of something and how they interact molecularly with the body. And we can look at like alcohol addiction clinically is probably very different than somebody who has a cocktail or two every night or even just um, socially. which can be a problem if you're, does that make sense to you? Like yeah, yep. Absolutely. Deep alcohol addiction when you're like awake and drink kind of a guy, um, you can die from withdrawals. That's like clinical addiction. The body okay. is physically addicted to alcohol. I wouldn't judge somebody who came into an AA meeting and said like, I just couldn't get through a social situation without alcohol and I and I needed to give it up because I felt like I was behaving differently when I had alcohol. Like that's valid. That's a valid, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So as far as sugar goes, like is it physically addictive? I guess they say no, but I could use food in an addictive way. I could probably do anything in an addictive way. I was certainly riding my bicycle in an addictive way. You know what I mean? Which at the end of the day, I had just been on a a pretty popular TV show for a number of years. I didn't need to work. And my wife was like, you're doing something you enjoy doing. You're losing weight. Go ahead, do what you want. So I did that for two years. I rode my bike like three to 400 miles a week. I was, I would, I was very, I don't know if I'd use the word addictive, addicted for that, but so I I do think it is possible to, you know, look, when you see kids drinking big gulps of Mountain Dew, there, there's caffeine in that. That's certainly addictive, um, uh, scientifically addictive. And I think that you can, you can, um, I've noticed that when I, I've noticed I have a weird relationship with Diet Coke and I will, if we put Diet Coke in the house, that's all I drink. And so I'll drink that and drink that and drink that. And then if I stop, I get a headache. Like, I don't know what's happening, 
But I know that my relationship with that thing is not, I, I, I'd rather be drinking water. Um, so I don't know what to say about researchers saying you can't be addicted to sugar. I could use sugar in an unhealthy manner right. and have trouble stopping. That's how I would qualify it as addictive. Yeah, well, I, I really love what you said about more like the clinical addiction. I feel like maybe that is where, you know, that line is. But I think, you know, habitually, whether it's maybe a habit versus an addiction, you know, um, you so I want to also talk about your podcast. So yes. the American Glutton, right? Yeah. OK, yeah. so how did that come into, you know, existence and what do you talk about? Um, it's a, it's a bizarre story. My, <laughs> my buddy, Kevin Connolly, who's also an actor, um, we were getting on a flight to Japan a number of years ago. And he was like, what are you going to do for 14 hours? And I said, I'm going to listen to this awesome podcast about the history of the Mongolian empire. What are you going to do? And he was like, what's a podcast. And oh, so I downloaded it for him and he, he, he listened to it start to finish the whole flight and he got off and he was like what are podcasts they're amazing <laughs> and he loved podcasts so much that he like a few years later was like i'm gonna start a podcast studio you got to come and do a podcast oh my gosh and i was like what the hell would i talk about kevin and he was like you got to talk about philosophy and morality and politics and i was like i'm there's no way i'm talking about any of that stuff and just what do you wanted me to set up to get kicked out of los angeles there's no way it's just way too dangerous and he uh kind of pestered me and pestered me and i woke up one day on my way to the gym and i went oh i can talk about weight loss i've done every diet that's existed i've lost weight i've gained weight i've been through this i'm actually feeling really good about myself right now like i'll do a podcast about that and and so that's what we talk about and and honestly my favorite part is just hearing perspectives of other people that i always thought this only exists within me nobody else can relate to this and then when i realized that like you know, some normal looking dude who I'm envious of because they can just go through life and eat a cheeseburger and not feel weird about it yeah. also is struggling with something. And it kind of takes the burden away from me feeling like this is a problem that only I have. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think that that's something that, you know, their social media is, you know, not the best thing in the world for a lot of people. But I do think that there are some things that have been really great to come out of it. Like people connecting and being able to say like, I'm struggling with this. I feel like we've kind of entered an era of like not being so ashamed of like yeah. our struggles. And that's something that I love. I like, I'm weird. I love talking about struggles almost to where I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be airing, you know, all of my <laughs> life struggles so much, but I just think it's great because A, who cares? You know, we all go through something. And um, yeah, so I think that's amazing. If you um, yeah, and I, th I think you're I think you're very right about that. When when I think airing the struggle is beneficial. Like you can get something out of it by by getting it off your chest, and then somebody can get something out of it by hearing it and by going like, right. "Look at her, she's got it all together, and she's struggling too." Yeah, yeah. I just think that I don't know what it is. I you know, I, I grew up with some people that felt like they needed to have a very per picture perfect life on the outside. And I didn't like, I'm one of seven children. I'm number six. 
several of my siblings had gotten a lot of trouble with drugs and the law. And I was just like over here, like, well, that's not me, you know, like I'm never going to have that perfect life. And I'm okay with that. I my siblings are all amazing now and we're all doing great. And I'm proud of those struggles of, you know, where we've gone, gotten in life. So, um, so, uh, one of my last questions is, you know, with all of your experience in your fitness journey and weight loss journey, what, what's some practical advice that you would give someone that is struggling, uh, with their own weight? Yeah. Struggling with their own weight. I think it's very important to, um, to take any goal and break it down into as small as confrontable pieces as possible. So like if you're struggling with weight loss and your goal, if you're 500 pounds, the goal of having a six pack is a distant, distant goal, but you could have the goal of just making it through the day on whatever program you've put whatever structure you've put yourself on. Uh, so I, I would suggest, um, getting through small incremental goals, working towards a, a, a larger goal, uh, that I I find that to be easier and preferable to setting a very lofty goal. You know, I'm never going to play football professionally. That's not in the cards for me. I'm I'm also an old man and I have adult (laughs) children. Like that's just not going to happen. So we have to be kind of realistic with our goals and then we have to set goals that we can achieve. And I think the the mundane day-to-day goals are as important as the overall broad long-term goals. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. And how about considering we're all in quarantine right now? (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything that you're doing differently to kind of continue on with your normal routine as much as possible? Yeah. I, I, well, I thankfully had started a maintenance period a couple weeks prior to quarantine. Um, and I've, uh, I've, kind of programmed out and had some help from like a pro bodybuilder guy program out a way to get um uh progressive overload just with like a couple dumbbells and body weight stuff Mm -hmm. just so that there's not a lot of muscle loss because who knows how long this is going to last before we get back to a gym you know um so my my main focus is um no weight gain and no muscle, no atrophy. Okay. And so I, I start my day every day exercising. It's still about an hour long, maybe a little bit more. I do a little bit more cardio now than I was before. And uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting, it, it's literally, it's, it's a historic moment, you know, and this yeah. is, I feel like something that we're going to be, you know, referring back to, um, not to equate it to other, you know, really world changing events, but I, I feel like this is one of them. And, and in regards to fitness, at least I, I'm getting a lot of questions of like, well, what do I do about like continuing to lose weight? And personally, I just feel like there's a time and a place, you know, and yeah. I mean, this is different for every person, but I think that main, maintaining is a great piece of advice because yeah. Also, we have to think about being under so much stress right now and how all that cortisol is affecting, you know, just our our appetite and just like all these other factors. So anyways, I think that's great advice. So my last question for you. (laughs) So the title of our podcast is Your Best Life. So what 
if you were to pick one or maybe two things that has allowed you to live your best life, what would that be? Um, my wife, who <laughs> I love so much and has been nothing but inspirational to me and my kids. I think um, having kids, I couldn't, I, this is your first kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, listen, I've gone through and read all the spiritual literature and all the scientific literature. And at the end of the day, like, I just don't care which side is right. It doesn't matter. There is something about kids that is supernatural feeling of yeah. a connectedness. Um, so I would just say my, my wife and my kids have really Amazing. done it for me. Beautiful. All right, Ethan. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I feel like we could go on and on and dive more into fitness stuff for sure. hours. <laughs> but um, can you let everyone know where they can find and follow you? Yes. Uh, Ethan Suplee, uh, I guess, at Ethan Suplee on Twitter and Instagram. And the podcast is called American Glutton. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ethan. Uh, Thanks have for a having your me. Day. Of course. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>So that was my conversation with Ethan Suplee. And first, I just want to comment, what a great family man. Like, he <laughs> loves his wife and children. I think that's so beautiful. He's a girl dad. He's a girl dad. That's right. You're going to be a girl I'm dad, be a girl dad too. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really interesting conversation. And honestly, it was also very funny when he said, what, what would be his approach to 80-20? Yeah, which yeah. is in a well for me it was you know he said eighty percent of the time I would eat food that I don't like and then twenty percent eat food that I actually like. like. Okay, okay. So I love that like analogy, so to speak. But I also like I don't want people to think that like oh great I'm gonna have to hate what I eat eighty percent of the time like because that's not true because no, you know. Not. Yeah. I but and this actually ties to the name of his podcast American Glutton. Like in America, we do eat in a gluttonous way. Like it is literally just eating for indulgence and not for nutrition or that's at least what I grew up how I grew up eating. And so when you when you're used to eating like that and you go to eating healthy, like yeah, it's going to taste boring, you know, but you just need to what ends up happening Yes, but what ends up happening is that your your taste buds kind of need some time to readjust and to not to be in the habit of eating foods that are so high in artificial flavors and right. you know additives right. and all these things. And once you give your taste buds that time, then eating fruits and veggies actually taste delicious right. because you you taste them for their real taste instead of needing to mask it oh, with all these artificial flavors. It doesn't flavors. need to be boring either. You can get really no. creative with food. And, you know, we always cook pretty delicious food, you know, but it's yeah, you know, flavorful. nutritious as well. So Yeah, but I mean, but I mean, okay, like, let's be honest, though, like, of course, like eating no matter how delicious fruits and veggies or, you know, any meal can get like a cupcake and, right. you know, Taco Bell or whatever is always going to be delicious, too. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I don't want people to think too much that like, oh, they have to hate what they eat, because if you are prioritizing eating healthy, the majority of the time, then your taste buds are going to adjust 
adjust and you're actually going to enjoy eating healthy, but that doesn't mean that, <laughs> you know, you're not going to love the other stuff more. So yeah, I totally um, agree. All right, guys, I hope you are as motivated and inspired from that conversation with Ethan. And I hope that you could take something away from it to help you live your best life. And I hope you guys are staying healthy and happy and wash your hands above all right now. And I will talk to you guys next week. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production. <laughs>